Marcy Sklove. Welcome to Going Deeper. Today I'm sitting with Andrea Battle. Andrea has lived in this area for over 10 years, mostly in the Amherst uh, area and now in South Hadley. Her earlier life was as a high school teacher of government and social studies in New York. And she has spent considerable time in Taiwan and is fluent in Chinese and also has a deep religious and spiritual connection that we will be hearing about as we c continue. Um, Andre and I are both members of the Amherst League of Women Voters Racial Justice Task Force, and that's how we got to know each other more deeply. So welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much it's for good coming. good to be here. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to start by asking about your early life and what in your childhood, what was it like? And what about it sort of puts you on the path of all the interesting things that you've been doing as, as a grown-up? <laughs> okay. Um, my, my parents, my mom and dad, were grocery store owners. Oh. That, it was before the supermarket actually came out. And so um, I grew up not having to ever worry about making lunch <laughs> or being without lunch to go to school and literally walking to my elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in it? the South Bronx, okay. the real South Bronx, the original one. And um, my elementary school was, was basically down the street. You know, it was about maybe a mile, a mile and a half. And um, that was my beginnings. And my parents were both worked the grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, so, mm -hmm. um, but my mom was very much into reading and things like that, and they kept, just kept saying to me, you need to go to college, you can decide what you want to do, and et cetera, et cetera, and um, neither one of them was able to go to college at mm -hmm. that stage, and so they were hoping that I would go to college, which of course I did, but um, it was one of the things that was emphasized among several of the parents of, mm -hmm. of the children that I grew up with. And did you have siblings? No. no. Oh, I was an only child. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the kind of spiritual, religious... Basically, upbeat? my parents were <clears throat> reluctant Christians, I will say, because mm -hmm. they grew up in the South. Both my parents were from North Carolina originally. That's not where they met. They met in New York. And, um, but it was one of those go to church all day in the evening, go on Tuesday, go on Wednesday. Hmm. So they were kind of shied away from, from churches. Yeah. And for some reason, um, the church around the corner attracted my attention because one or two people that I knew were going and I got involved with that church and it was a congregational, you know, church. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was very, very religious. I was mm. very much into it. And yeah. uh, so I grew up as a very devout Christian. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I mean, I, I just loved church. I liked the music. I liked, you know, whatever. I was trying to read the Bible, which wasn't easy. They didn't make it that simple at that time. 
Um, and so, and even when I went south, because every summer, I never saw a report card until I was 15. Every summer, they would drive down to my father's father's farm mm. in North Carolina, which was a tobacco and cotton and whatever. Okay, so were your parents part of the migration north? Yes, yes, okay. very much so, very much so. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they met in New York. They did not sure. meet, in, and they were, they were not close to each other in North Carolina, but they were both from North Carolina. Wow. It was interesting. Yeah, and, so there's probably mm -hmm. a lot of stories about mm -hmm. that, them coming up and all yeah, that. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. they, they came to New York and... Um, I spent a lot of wonderful summers with my father's mother and father, mm. um, listening to stories and getting responsibility at a very early age. I mean, first to sweep the yard and then to, to weed the garden and things like that. You know, yeah. and eventually I worked in tobacco, which okay. was just interesting because I always say to people, if I cannot believe that I ever smoked, because I did it one time. Yeah. And after getting tar on my hands, oh my gosh. you know, all you have to do is work in tobacco for about a half right. hour, an hour, and your whole hand is black with tar. Wow. Yeah, because wow. that's real. It is tar. Sure. So it was an issue, but I did learn that I'm ready to take on that if I need to <laughs> as yeah. an extra job. And it's interesting, yeah. you know, our area up in the Amherst, Hadley, South mm -hmm, Hadley, mm -hmm. so much tobacco is yes, going on yes, there. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. And so you said to me recently something about from the age of, eight, of 15, you were looking for a place to feel connected to yes, God. Yes, yes, I was. So you were religious, at, you know, you found this church and you were involved Mm -hmm. But was that part of the seeking, do you think? Or? Maybe, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, but I just, you know, as, as I opened up, you know, from as in high school and things, I started looking, I, I went to the Catholic church and um, my parents moved just before I went to high school and um, they had sold a store and they went into their own jobs. And so we moved further uptown in the Bronx mm -hmm. and um I was still searching mm -hmm. for um, a place, you know, like I looked at the Catholic Church, I looked at Judaism because I found it very similar in certain mm -hmm. things, and plus the Bible. Um, I looked at Buddhism, I looked at many things, mm -hmm. and um, I still couldn't quite find what was missing, but I, you know, it was a constant. I either went to church or I went to someone else's service or I did something, Sure. you know, so I think I've always been religious yeah <laughs> so you know and, my families and then what was the so I don't know the chronology it, the teaching social studies well teaching, I studied to be a teacher okay yeah yeah no I studied to be a teacher and because I did want to teach and I used to you know people used to tease my parents because I would come and I was talking to people in my class and there was no one there <laughs> so they were like your daughter was talking she said my daughter my mother said that was her class and I would have papers on the bed yeah. you know and whatever so I was always planning to teach yeah. you know so yeah, that was I, your, your yeah. play as and well. I loved yeah. social studies and political science and all that kind of thing because my father was very into that and we would watch the news together and discuss it mm. you know so Walter Cronkite and oh, yeah. Brinkley and all. So I was always fascinated by politics, you know, the Constitution, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And growing up and going south in the 50s and 60s was an experience because um, the racism was, was more rampant and more, 
you only you had to go to a certain bathroom, a certain, um, mm -hmm. you know, a certain water fountain and that kind of thing. So, you know, I learned even though we lived on a farm when I went down there and it was way out of town. So I didn't have a lot of direct communications on a daily basis. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, I did know there was different bathroom, different water, whatever. Wow. So. And did you experience sort of racism or the awareness of it differently in the South than in the North? Yeah, because it wasn't as obvious as it was. I went into the wrong bathroom because I had to go and I just said, I, I don't have time to find the colored bathroom. I'm going. And uh, my cousin came running in. If she had just stayed outside and let me go, those women would not have, they would have thought I was just a sunburned child because my yeah. hair was like a sandy brown. Wow. And my cousin was brown. And these women were standing in the bathroom like this. You know, when we were like nine, oh, you know, gosh. I was maybe eight and she was nine. Yeah. And my, my grandparents would not let me go to town again for a month. What, they punished you? Or no, they, they just said just it was dangerous. Yeah, because yeah, they, yeah. And they prayed that nothing would happen because they yeah. could have burned the house down and right, done anything. Right, right. So I, that's when I realized <laughs> yeah, this is I have to serious. be careful what I yeah. do, you know. I mean, it's like Emmett Till. I mean, he didn't yeah. realize, you know, saying something. He never realized that he would never live again, you know. And so this yeah. is after Emmett Till, wow. you know, right after. Okay. And they said, no, you just won't go to town. We have to talk about it. And then they eventually let me go back, but I was very careful. Yeah. You know? Oh, mm -hmm. my goodness. Yeah. So... When did you get involved and interested in Chinese? Oh, okay. Well, I was very, I was very much an activist in college. I was very much against the Vietnam War, and I wanted us to leave. Um, I was very much involved with civil rights, et cetera. And um, when I moved to New York from upstate, because I went to school, Fredonia State, you know, State University of New York, um, you only have so many years before you have to get a master's in order to have permanent certification in oh, teaching, in, teaching. In, in New York. Oh, okay. And um, that's if you want to teach in a public school. Okay. And um, but graduate. And I, when I when I, I, I was, had gotten married and I had a child, mm. and um, we were separated. So it was just me and the child. You know, who the one you know, is <laughs> the professor now. Whitney. <laughs> Whitney. Yeah. And um, I said, I, I, have, I have to figure out a way to go to graduate school. And so St. John's University was one of the universities that I looked at, and they had a program in Chinese studies, and it was a grant program. So I applied, and they rejected me. They said I didn't have enough background to, mm. to get a master's. So I went to a conference, or they had like a showing, an art show and whatever. And so I kept following behind the head of the department, I kept saying, I just wish I could go here. I can't believe I'm missing all this. And eventually, um, he said, who are you? And, and, what, <laughs> and I said, I applied, and they rejected me. He said, well, make an appointment on Monday with my secretary for next week sometime. So I had an appointment with him, and he gave me special dispensation, but I had to take six hours of Chinese that summer. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't actually working, so it worked out well. You yeah. know, so I took six hours of Chinese, and they admitted me officially into the Chinese studies oh, program. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and then you, they told me. Yeah. One of the things you have to do is go to Taiwan. And I was like, no, 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 wait, you don't understand. I have a child, a co-op, you know, grandparents. You know, I can't just get up and go to Taiwan. And they said, no, you need to go to Taiwan as part of your, you know, commitment or whatever, because then they could bring over so many students for every one oh, American. Okay. So my parents didn't talk to me for a while. Ooh. And 
because <laughs> I was taking their only grandchild. Sure. And finally, I just said, I have to go. You know, and then I found someone to sublet my co-op, and then I right. went off to Taiwan. And how old was Whitney? Four and a half. Wow. Yeah, and she became fluent in a couple, about a month or of so, a month and a half. Yeah. And you must have a great proficiency for language. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Um, Spanish was a, was my second language that I studied, and yeah. um, and I got better at it. And I taught Spanish in Taiwan to oh, one right. of the engineering uh, schools, and I was teaching it. My main teaching was at the Liberal Arts College, uh, Dan Shui, um way up on a beautiful mountain. It's like in those Chinese drawings you mm. see where they have the waterfall and everything. It was that kind of place. Wow. And I taught English to English majors, sophomores, and. Um, it, it was very successful, so much so that they asked me to stay and they would help me finish my master's and I can go oh. on. But my daughter was convinced that she was Chinese. And so, I love this story. So she was like, no, I am Chinese. I speak the language. I understand the culture. I am Chinese. And I said, okay, little black girl, we have to go home now <laughs> because you cannot think you're Chinese. You cannot grow up thinking you're Chinese. And so... I, but I made a concession. Once we got home, I let her go to Chinese school. I took her every Saturday. Mm, so she great. did have another year of Chinese school. But Does she, she still have her Chinese language? No, but no. She, it would come back. Yeah. I keep telling her this. You know, so, oh, it would, yeah, definitely. It would, it would, because yeah. she was four and a half to five and a half. But, you know, she mm. went on to become an anthropologist and has Well, an archaeologist. Archaeologist, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so my daughter spent a year in India and... You know, the way it transforms the children. It affects you. It, it affects you. I mean, it affected In me a positive way. Very How much. you look at other people exactly. is, is one of the things it does. And I learned how to function in a society that was different from mine. And right. that it wasn't just the language. It's so much. Right. And right. you just go, okay, this is what you do. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very humbling yeah. to it go is. through that. It is. And it not is. always. I mean, I remember places that we've lived where, you know, buying laundry soap was like the most humiliating act <laughs> because who knew if you, I was, what I was buying or what I was looking mm -hmm, at. Mm -hmm. and, so and just we had to, and we And she had to carry water to school because people did not drink the water directly. Yeah. So I always had to boil the water and make sure she had water. And, yeah. you know, so it was, it was a lot of things. And I would mix things. And then they had like a TV show with where they had the kids doing something. And so I, it was like a mother-daughter thing. So I was like, okay, we're gonna be on TV. How cute. And <laughs> my friends were laughing because they kept focusing on me because I was the only non-Chinese yeah. in the, in the thing. How were you treated there in terms well, of being non-Chinese but also being African-American? They didn't know I was African-American. They never considered me. <laughs> no matter what I said to them, oh. they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> And my Chinese was getting better, so it was like, nah, you're not. But, but the base was there, and there were a lot of African-American soldiers oh, and it. wives and things. So I found out through a girlfriend that I met, she said, they do not call me Megorin American. They call me Heyrin, which is black person. And I said, really? And she said, really, you know. And they were calling me Megwarin, right. American. Right, so, wow. And I even joined a church there. Um, yeah. It was a, a Chinese-American and European church. It was really good, and they had classes and everything. It was, it was very interesting, hmm. you know. Wow, yeah. So then you came back, and is that when you taught at the high school? Well, I was teaching, yeah. I was teaching again and um, when I came back, and... Um, I got to the point where I decided 
that since I was, they were pushing me to go to Taiwan, that I was just going to go. I was mm -hmm. going to do it and just said, God, please just provide it so I don't lose my co-op, so I, mm -hmm. my, I don't mm -hmm. lose my parents who are barely speaking to me now. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, and, and, I, and they, they found out that I took my daughter to a place that loves children. Mm -hmm. So my daughter was not without yeah. to say the least. Yeah. And she got along with the kids in the neighborhood and we were also a tourist spot for the neighborhood. Oh. They would say, oh, this is our American. You yeah. know, there's a yeah. Miguel in over here and, and her child, you know, and her hides her child. And, <laughs> and we would wave, you know, it was like, okay, we're the American. And she goes to Chinese school, you know, that's oh. what they would tell everybody. I was like, yeah. I can't afford the American school. Because right. it was either you were private industry, right. you were a church, or you were military. And all of those groups paid for that. So the Chinese American oh, school was paid for. Yeah. I was a student, you know, sure. teaching at two schools. And no, my daughter, I could afford the Chinese school. Yeah. So that's yeah. where she and went. Good for her. And she was then... fine. I said, you'll, you'll learn it. The Taiwanese kids don't know Mandarin. You'll learn it. And yeah. she did. Yeah. yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're, I taught high school, but for the most part, yeah. um, I taught um, a thing called this is back in New York, New York, right? Yeah. Participation in government, um, which is you know how to function with the government. I taught a lot of constitutional law, and I created a course called Feminist Thought and Women of Color, which I don't know how I got it past Caribbean parents because they have some issues with with um, gay people and. Most of the books I was using, at least one of the editors was gay. Right. In, in most of it. So I would say to the kids, you cannot just leave this on your uh. dining room table <laughs> until you are better developed and you learn how to explain this. That's fantastic. You know, so the kids did. They were very careful about it. And yeah. then the parents grew to love the program. They felt their kids were learning a yeah. lot in terms of how you know, to function, critical thinking skills. The English teachers were happy with me. I was making them write things like that. So it, it was a it was an all round success and in you terms also, of that. Didn't you also like take them on field trips and oh, yeah, show yeah, them? Oh yeah, we went. Yeah, we went. We would get on the Long Island Railroad literally yeah. and get off, and we would go to Chinatown, and I would have them look. <laughs> I said, look at look at the Chinese. Does are all Chinese look the same? And they were like, no. And I said just like all Americans, I mean, just all black people, all Latino people, everybody doesn't look exactly the same. They have a type, but then there are people. So they would just stand and I would like, wow. And then we went to like a Brazilian restaurant, you know, you know, as I, as I was, because I was teaching middle school at one point and then I was teaching like global studies, which yeah. in New York is one of the other requirements. And that, that was know. more of a high school level. Well, that was middle school middle, into high school. It yeah. was more like ninth, 10th. Did you, you know? also take them to show them how um, government works? Didn't yeah, you go sometimes to, we had people come. And, we didn't go to DC, but oh, okay. we had people come in. We would attend certain rallies. We would work mm -hmm. with uh, we would uh, write letters and public officials would come and I was and I was on Long Island the last 30 years or so So a lot of the public officials would come the town supervisor and yeah. other people So they got to know so some important. of the town because it was it was a requirement You had to either take participation in government or AP government, you know yeah. in order to graduate because just Figuring out how to interface with government when you have a question you yes. want to get something done yes. 
-hmm. Like all of those. And the league, that's why I got to know the League of Women Voters. Uh, they did a lot. They, they would get me registration papers. You know, I'm saying now, you, first of all, you have to be a, a, a legal citizen. Right. And once you are, and you have to be 18, you know, because they had just changed the thing. It was no longer, when I was in college, you had to be 21. Mm -hmm. But it was 18 to vote. And so we would register, have the kids send it, and the school district said, just put, put them in the office and we'll send them off. So the kids got registered That's pretty fantastic. fast. And we were able to pass a, a bond issue that allowed the school to get rewired because of my kids pushing oh, and pushing their see, parents. That's fantastic. So that's, that was a thing of government works. If we go out and we vote, we learn, we teach people, right. and then we go and we do it. That, that right. was the idea. That's yeah. wonderful. So that was incredible. And, and why you get kind of frustrated <laughs> these days. Well, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sad that people, I just think a lot of the people, especially the ones who were there on January 6th, don't even know who they were. They don't, you only have to know three, you know, national. Two senators and one representative. That's what you have mm -hmm. in terms. And I, I would guarantee you most of those, half of those people, or more than half, do not even know who represents them. Right. You know, right. so. Um, or how the whole thing works. Yeah, how the whole thing works. And it, it is, it was a very, it was a very hard time to, to watch the yeah. Constitution, which means a lot to me. Yeah. It really, it was very hurtful. Wasn't that just <laughs> yes, it was such hard. a day? It was hard. And, and that day really hurt because yeah. the the peaceful transition of government is very important. I don't care who gets elected, we transfer peacefully. And that's the difference between us. And when I was in Taiwan at the time, they were a little on the fascist side. They were very right wing. Yeah. Chiang Kai-shek's son was the okay. head and he's the only one who ran. And 97% of the people voted. Okay? Wow. Yes. But it's changed. I mean, it's come a long sure, way. And sure. I still... One of the young ladies that was going to the school um, at the time, and she and I became good friends because she was a Spanish major. And I don't know, she helped me with trying to figure out something and we became friendly and we, we saw each other and we, we, we corresponded and she got married and I mean, all kinds of stuff. She lives in California now, she's a citizen, but she had both of her sons when she, she went to California where her husband's family is and stayed until the, each of her sons got a passport in case anything happened, oh my that they, they'd be able to get them out. Yeah. That's how serious they were about it. Wow. But it turned out they both were came and they both became citizens. Yeah. You know? and now yeah. she's like 65, I can't believe it. I said, oh, the little 18, 19 year old is now 65. But anyway, and I'm very good friends with her sister who also um, came to visit and she stayed with me for about two weeks and I wouldn't let her spend money. And you know, cause I had left teaching by then, I was in the private sector. We're gonna get oh, to okay. that, yeah. But um, you know, it, it was interesting. And, and her sister is kind of on the right side of the, of the okay. political spectrum. And I'm so fascinated because there are a few people that I talk to who are very right wing and I learn I just learn. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with them, but, and I say, I don't really agree with you on that. However, keep talking. Let me hear how you feel and where you got it from. It isn't interesting because I used to teach that. This is the right, this is the left, this is the middle, and this is what, 
and and if we can talk to each other and figure out a way, then then we can live together because mm -hmm. that's what we've done for the most of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, now it's mm -hmm. very difficult. Yeah. But um, no, but that's the same kind of thing you were talking about in terms of the religious stuff too. Mm -hmm. That you know, there are a lot of different religions. Right. But where are the commonalities? And the commonalities are very very strong. Mm -hmm. Very strong. Mm -hmm. Very strong. But you know, I taught at Uniondale High School. I taught at Hempstead High School, but then I went moved to Uniondale um, High School, and I, that's where I stayed until I retired. Mm. And that was a wonderful experience. Yeah. You know, it was. I was like I was telling you today. I just talked to a young man who graduated my first class that yeah. I went there. You know, so oh. that was nice. I'm, they keep up with me through Facebook sure, and Instagram and, how you've and all that. Them. Yeah. Well, I was fortunate enough to be um, chosen Long Island Teacher of the Year the year mm. before I retired. And yeah, so that was really an really, honor. Really <laughs> you know, there's thousands and thousands of people, you know. Sure. So I, I felt really good. Okay, so let's w sort of s shift gears to the um, Santeria. Okay, okay. And the religious thing. And you've brought beautiful artifacts and mm -hmm. things to show. Yes. But when did that come into your life? Um, at what phase? I was, I had left teaching. I left teaching for 10 years. Um, I decided I was at Hempstead and uh, there were teachers who were doing nothing and they made more than me because they'd been there longer. And I was like, I hate this. I don't want to be here anymore. And I said, I will never stay in teaching unless I love it. So yeah. I had to get away from it for a while. And I went into the corporate sector and I was in advertising sales. Okay. And what an experience. But, this was yeah. in Dow Jones? No, that no. was the last okay, of that, so of that tenure. That yeah, so I, I, first period. I started at Black Enterprise, then I went to Ziff Davis Publishing, and then I, I did a rep firm, and then I went to Dow Jones was the last one. You know, that was an interesting experience, talking to very wealthy people who were totally out of touch with the rest of us. And it was a fascinating thing. And my specialty at one point was commodities and um, futures. And nobody that I talked to outside of there knew what I was talking about. They didn't. I said, well, you don't want the wheat, but you do want to bet on the wheat futures. So therefore, you, you know, and I said, OK, no, don't worry about it. It just happens, you know. And it was like, and you should never, if you don't have a lot of money, don't go into futures because 80% of the people lose money, you know. And so people so how were just. how did you learn all of that stuff? I took a class. Okay. And my. my was my, there training on the job no, too? Mm -mm. No. My boss said, they're not going to pay for that. I said, I can take it off of my taxes. You know, I said, and if I can't, at least I can talk. So it, as a result of doing that, I was able to call on futures and commodities people, and they thought I was part of the editorial page. Okay. So when I met the guy who wrote the editorial for Commodities Corner, he said, oh, you're Andrea Battle. And I said, what, what does that mean? And he said, I keep hearing your name. And I'm like, I was like, really? He said, he said, how do you understand this? I said, I took a class. Uh -huh. And he said, oh, you know. I and, paid attention. Yeah, I paid attention. <laughs> I wanted to find out and I asked questions. And so exactly. how do you sell somebody if you don't know what their product is? Right. I mean, that was my attitude right. about sales. Right. You know, right. so wow. um, it, was a, it was, I learned a lot. And I know, you know at some point you met, you know, Donald Trump. Oh, I met Donald Trump several times. And, and was it during this period? Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. I, mm -hmm. I've met him at least six, five, six, seven times. Um, yes. <laughs> one of his six bankruptcies or one of the times his two casinos went bad, uh, you know, yeah. and it was like, in New York, we did not consider him a successful businessman yeah. because he was constantly, his father kept pouring money in when he would go bankrupt. 
and he would start again. And I'm like, that's really not bankruptcy, you know? So, yeah. but that's how, you know, New Yorkers really were not pro-Trump. Mm -hmm. Even upstate Republicans didn't vote for him in large yeah. numbers. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so, you know, we knew. We yeah. knew what we were getting, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> many of us. So you're in this 10-year period yeah. doing all this work in the mundane, mm -hmm. real world. Yes, yes. And what happened that you got? I just connected? felt like my soul was being eaten away. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I, yeah. I was very successful, and I just, I just wasn't happy mm -hmm. with what, what I was doing anymore. And I said, I need to think about this and I started substitute teaching and they started my name started appearing on things and I was like I'm not here I'm a sub and eventually I just gave up and said you know what maybe I just need to go back into teaching mm. and so I gave up a lot of money yeah <laughs> several hundred thousand dollars a year um but I have I never it was the best mis decision I ever the made the best mistake I yeah, ever no, made the best decision you almost said that. no it was the best <laughs> no, decision I, I ever made yeah, yeah um I I was able to talk to the business the students who were going into business mm -hmm. to make, give warnings about the things you should not do and the things you should and you know I gave them a lot of examples of things and the people that I did meet mm -hmm. not that one but yeah, yeah. like you know uh, Nikolai uh, Bulgari of Bulgari Jewelers and, and you know, Harry Winston. I met all these people because I was calling on, I worked for Pan Am Clipper magazine. I was with a rep firm and it was Pan Am Clipper and US Air and you know, whatever. And so I met a lot of people and a lot of people were very famous people, some of them, you know, and especially when I got into the jewelry and all that kind of thing. So I learned a lot. Um, yeah. Like I said, besides, and at the end, it was all financial people. But yeah. before yeah. that, it was, you know, in different categories, you know, with cars and liquor and all kinds of things. I, would, I went all the way to Canada, to Canadian Club and all that, and to Detroit. And, you know, to, mm. to, to, to and I traveled a lot. Yeah, wow. Yes. So I traveled a lot. And um, it so was, you were, you know, So you, you felt your soul was... I just felt like... I wasn't where I was supposed and, to be and anymore. And you, you were, we went back into teaching, but then what prompted you into this whole beautiful world that you're part of now? Oh, <laughs> well, no, I, and, and in that period is when I, when I ended up um, really embracing the faith that I'm in now, which is a traditional African faith uh, some people call it Santeria because they engaged the saints mm -hmm. to hide the Orishas. The Orishas are aspects of God. And um, it's a lot of the language for the religion is Yoruba. So we often call it Yoruba. It's called the religion. It's called um, the uh, Oro de Ocha or Regalia. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of different names. In Brazil, it's called Candoble. It is basically the same religion. Mm -hmm. We, people took it from Africa. My line comes from Africa to Cuba to New York and Miami, basically. Okay. And um, I can kind of trace the people who came from Cuba that, uh, hmm. that gave us the religion, basically. And, and those you know, were black Cubans, mostly? A lot of them from, were. And from some were not slave. black. Some of them were white Cubans yeah. or, you know, fair, fair Cubans and that had come up because they were the ones that were able to get out, mm. you know. Right. And um, so 
We had to learn it the hard way. They were not, they didn't want, some of them were wonderful and some of them did not want to give information. Well, it was kind of a secret religion for a long well, time. Well, yeah, it right? was a secret religion, but it wasn't secret from the people practicing it. Yeah, sure. But in my line, um, we were like, I think the first African-American, one of the first ones of, that was mostly African-American. And um, we were able to, um, teach people how to what we call read um, the Odu and our religion there is you know the cowrie shells which I have mm. one of those mm -hmm. um, is you see them in in Hawaii and other places okay. and the bottom of the cowrie shell it's thrown a certain way and there's something like 256 different con configurations and you can put them together wow. differently and it interprets what oh, what your life is it's beautiful and it's a spiritual thing, it interprets that. Mm -hmm. And um, we care about the Orishas, and the Orishas, one of them chooses you. Mm -hmm. And that is the Orisha you are born under. And do the Orishas have different aspects, different sure, attributes? Sure, okay. sure. I mean, my, my, my uh, was, was Obatala, is Obatala, and I will be, in November, I'll be 32 years a priest in, in the religion. Mm -hmm. And Obatala was the was very close to Alofi, who is God. Mm -hmm. And the 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 aspect of Obatala is we're very very clear and very whatever and very heady. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, some of the symbols of Obatala or the elephant, mm. and the other is the snail, slow but steady. He keeps <laughs> going, and the <laughs> elephant never forgets, and all those kinds of things wow. that go with it. Yeah. And um, one of my friends said to me, "Your daughter's an Obatala, and you're an Obatala. You're different." I said, "Yes, but I'm an Obatala. She is a double Obatala. It means oh, both okay. her mother and father. Her wow. mother is like." Oshanla, who's the little old lady that sits in church with the pearls and talks about everybody. Uh -huh. <laughs> Does not forgive when people do certain things. And so my, my friend said, oh, I said, yep, see, you see, there's a difference. But whereas my mother is Oshun, Oshun is the, over the river. And we're a religion mm -hmm. that is related very much to the environment, yeah. to the climate, to all of it. Um, and so we care about what happens mm -hmm. in the environment. We also respect it. And we used to do things, and we're now, when we do things, we don't throw away stuff with, with, with things that, like plastic. Mm -hmm. We try to put things, wrap them in, in, in whatever, or put them, if we put something in the ocean, we want it to be something that, that the fish can eat and will not destroy the ocean mm -hmm. at all. And so the, we just care about what goes on. We even did a conference uh, on the environment and we had a Brazilian person because Brazil was way ahead of us they yeah. would ask us when we go to Brazil to visit can we change your sheets every third day mm -hmm. it would be mm -hmm. better and we would say yes and so we would put a thing up and it would say no th three days you know yeah and so yeah. they would sure. you know so that and that was like in the oh so spiritism 80s. is mm -hmm. another aspect yes right? mm -hmm. and so connecting with those who have passed. Who have passed. And what's yeah. the idea around, is, is there idea around reincarnation as part um, of it? Well, some people believe that. I mean, I mean, there are people in our religion that, you know, that, that do lean toward Buddhism. There are people who lean toward other things, but the, we call them egun. Egun is like bones. Mm -hmm. And as long as your name is being called, mm. 
you will always live. Your mm -hmm. spirit will mm -hmm. always live. And it's like in the Jewish religion where you name after someone who has passed mm -hmm. on. Right, it's a right, way right, right. of maintaining to remember who that person was right, right. to keep going. To honor them and because yeah. people were very upset when my youngest, my firstborn grandson was initiated at the age of six, but he was initiated on my 65th birthday. Wow. And people were like, that's horrible. And I said, are you sure that your grandson will be calling your name and his children and his children's children? Mm. And they were like, oh, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I said, yeah, well, he will be. And I, you know, and so we both, it's my natal birthday, it's his religious birthday. Wonderful. You know, so and, and, you know, and you celebrate that every year and mm -hmm. people come, except this last year or so, we With haven't COVID. been doing this. People are slowly coming, a small group, and we keep it controlled. You know, just like the initiations, um, we stop them for a while and then now it's controlled. Mm -hmm. It's only a, so many How people many? In, yeah. a, in a place, no more than 10. and. Then they have a, they leave and another crew comes in to help finish you know or whatever. So it is even that's control. You so know. so you brought some things to yes share, we so. um, we are very vocal and we we um, talk to the Orishas. Those of us who are priests talk to the Orishas every day. Mm -hmm. We also talk. Most of us are supposed to talk to. Um, our guides and protections and guardian angels and everything every day too, but we do try to talk to them several times a week. But those of us who are priests will usually pray every day. Mm -hmm. And we pray with different um, type of artifacts. This was brought to me by my godmother from Nigeria, mm. from a, a village. And it's like when we talk to Obatala, we talk with this. Oh gosh. And then we talk to another one, this is another kind. And yet we have some that we talk to with a bell, wow. and that's Oshun, my mother. Um, and my, my, my son is an Oshun, and his bell, he's got, he's got uh, a Lolo D, which is the, the Oshun that is double. You have to do everything double for oh. that, uh, that Oshun. Could I try the, oh, sure. no, the other oh. one? Oh, this, this one is, is really, what yeah. a beautiful sound. Yeah. The other kind, I meant to bring the other kind, it's like, whatever. People, and you hold it like yeah, this, yeah, you don't like yeah, do this Yeah, thing. no, no. Oh, that's, yeah. gosh. You and there are other kinds that are like that. I didn't bring them, yeah. but there are other kinds. This and then beautiful. we have, you know, and then we honor, like we have Shango. This is Shango's uh, Ileki. And Shango, um, I had um, uh, one of our people, he's a priest of Ogun, and he carves. And so this wow. is for Shango. And my, he made my pot for Shango, which is made of wood. Mm. Most of our pots that we keep our, our, our sacred things in are ceramic, okay. a lot of them. Yeah. And, but, the, but Shango is made with wood. And Ogun, who is over metal and guns and bridges and everything else, is made from metal. Sure. You know, it's, it's different ones or different sure, ways. different elements, And then yeah. Aganyu, who is the volcano, is Shango's, oh. supposed to be Shango's father, and only a Shango can survive lightning. You know, usually wow. they say, you know, whatever. So is it the same artist that the made same artist, this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and this was Zagan Yu's, and I usually sit it with them, with the particular, what we call sapero, which is the Spanish word for soup tureen. Oh, sure. A lot of them are originally soup tureens, but we have people who make those things also. And one of our potters is 
getting older and is not making it. So I'm sitting there gluing things. I'm not oh, letting no. go of her pots, you yeah. know. And when you start in the religion, you usually start with the beads. And you've ever see beads on somebody, oh. they will have what we call Ooh, them elakis. And they're given beautiful. usually five or six um, beads, you know, this one is Ogun, this is Obatala, oh, you know, the colors, the colors have a lot to do with it, and this uh -huh. is Oshun, and different yeah. houses have different patterns. Yeah. So the patterns vary, you know, um, and then there's the, also this, there's a side of the religion called Ifa, which in Nigeria is very strong, and that's a whole different, and that's a different oh. godparent that we have for that. But all of them read you, and when you're initiated, you receive an Ide, oh, which wow. is of the colors and then you get someone like my daughter's friend oh this is part of my um obatala society we we get wow. someone in brazil to do this so some I other people i don't know i feel like i want to join this religion just for <laughs> a lot of people artifacts. like the alakis yeah. yeah yeah they are they're very they're very interesting they're beautiful yeah and colorful yep and yeah. actually i am picking up some energy here as you're mm -hmm. you know showing this yeah stuff. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Really you know, and I, I and I was talking about the uh, book called Growing Up Yoruba, and this is written by um, Kemba Mchawi, my godmother's uh, oldest daughter, mm. and um, she had two sons. The oldest one was a son, and then the youngest one was a son, um, and they both passed away mm. from. Uh, I don't even want to get into it, but yeah. one said that he jumped off a roof, which we know that did not happen. Oh uh, he was getting ready to start. Uh, college and was engaged and whatever so oh, we know it very wasn't tragic. it was it was and the other one was shot and it was never done correctly and he ended up getting uh, septus or whatever oh. so that she lost both of her sons my, my godmother's a very strong person yeah very but she has three wonderful daughters and yeah. they're all um, Arisha people this is the oldest daughter and she wrote a wonderful book called The Teen Guide for Practicing the Yoruba Lukumi Tradition. And she talks about incidents and things that happen and you know what, sure. what you do. And the other book that I was bringing, there's a couple of books on it, but this is um, Ararara, but it's, it's hard to even get into it. It's about Shango, yeah. who was the first king, supposedly, and how the religion progressed from the western part of Africa into Benin and parts of Nigeria. And this book is so convoluted and complicated, it took about 15 of us to read it once a week. For, we would read 40, 50 pages a week, and then we would discuss it. Oh. And, and it took us about four months to get through it, four or five months. That you is know. just amazing. So it, yeah. it's, it's a lot of complications to say the least, to say the least. Well, it, it's very involved, but you know, a lot of it, I know, you know, a bunch about Hinduism, not a ton, mm -hmm. but I practice Hinduism, and a lot of it is so reminiscent. Mm -hmm. As you were saying, these old religions that- um, They're very related. They're, they're mm -hmm. very related. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in Hinduism, the gods and goddesses all have different attributes, mm -hmm. as you're saying, mm -hmm. and different people, different families. Yes different mm -hmm. regions mm -hmm. will focus on one or another. Mm -hmm. one of In Nigeria, you would only get one Orisha sure. or whatever. So when they came here, we ended up giving five or whatever at a time. And that's unusual because they you'd have to go to a different village to get a particular Orisha. So it was interesting how we had to adapt. And so did Brazil. Yeah. You know, Brazil is a whole different uh, function. And we go to Brazil quite a bit. 
Um, I've been five times okay. to Brazil. And, okay, yeah. so in Brazil, I was in Brasilia many years ago in the 90s, I guess mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And um, in Brasilia, we did a bunch of church, uh, like a t tours. Mm -hmm. And so there was this one church that was just this big open space with a spiral. And you mm -hmm. walked around the spiral, and then in the center, there was a crystal above. You, set, you stood just directly under the crystal, and there was a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. Around the periphery would be one-on-one -on -one priests mm -hmm. with individuals. And some of it mm -hmm. might have been this, like, spiritism. It might have been, seance yeah. Because they have different, they have, uh, the condoble is one, and then there's other um, things in Brazil also. We are affiliated with Casa Branca and some of the um, Candoble houses, um, Apo Farage. And you know, there are some that we have, we've, we've left the money and they were able to win a lawsuit. I mean, I think we gave them a wow. total of $300. They did a lawsuit, got some more land. It was very interesting. Wow. Um, but we're very close just, to a lot of the people there. There's a connection. The, this sort of, I love, and I've seen this in Mexico and also in, in um, New, New Mexico, mm -hmm. these areas where indigenous people mm -hmm. are integrating Catholicism mm -hmm. um, into their well, I did I did system. a ghost dance in 1991 in the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, one of the houses. And you go in and you're there for 48 hours. And um, well, my grandmother, my mother's mother was 100% Cherokee. And on my father's side, they were Cherokee also. Wow. But I had no idea it was 100% at that point. Um, and I'm in there and at this ceremony and I'm, I'm going in a circle. We learned to sing some songs. And the first person that, that went into the circle, like taken by spirit, came from my left hand. So then, of course, the next day, everyone wanted to hold my hand. And, and, and the person who I was named after, Adela Alonso of Matanza, Cuba, Odu, Odu Allah is my religious name you get. And <laughs> she was going around spiritually talking to people and telling them they should join this religion. Do you know at least about three or four of those people actually became part of this religion? Because I ran into them years later and they oh. said, the first thing I had was your spirit was talking to me. And oh I was like, wow. Gosh. You know, so I met them at different points. Some of them actually yeah. did get initiated. How, and how stuff. they get But it was, it was 48 it. hours with a bunch. Of, I had one friend, she and I went and I was like, okay, she said, I gotta go to the bathroom. So when the song ended, she went to the bathroom. She comes back, she can't find me. I'm spread eagle on the floor. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she was, I thought I was in the 1800s. I mean, wow. it was such an experience. Yeah. It was, it was, and it's supposed to clean the earth and you. Mm. So I got sick after we came out. I got so sick because- Was there any, um, you know, Peyote, ayahuasca. Oh, no, no, no. Not nothing. We didn't. No. Because mm -mm, mm -mm. it sounds a little like no. an experience mm -mm. you have with mm -mm. one mm -mm. of those plants. You can have medicines. that experience without peyote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I got all of that. And, um, you know, it, it, and I got to see things. And I got home. And the next day I got sick. I threw up. And, you know, I just, but it, it cleaned my whole system out. Yeah. I was trying to have a cold. And it just went. It yeah. was like the cold was gone. And I, I, I was clear 
and I was clear about what I was trying to do. You yeah. know, and I'd already, I, really, I was already like two years old as a priest. Oh. And so it just gave me direction because sure. a lot of us do sweats and things like that. Wow. And a lot of us, um, you know, we honor the Native Americans. A lot of, a lot of us are connected to Native sure. Americans. A lot of them took in slaves and never turned them away yeah. and never turned them in, you know, so. Um, that's you know. really amazing. Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. so much richness to yes, the yes, history of yes. everything. Mm -hmm. All right, so we don't have a whole lot more time, but I just wanted to bring us up to the present. Okay. And okay. just check in, is there anything you'd like to talk about in terms of where we're at in the world, well, in the country, yeah, in yeah. the area? I, to be truthful, in the 60s, I never thought that we would be in 2021 and be talking about racism and the other things that are going on because now it's going against all people of color and Jews and I mean it's gotten to the point I did think we were, I would think that we would have been more evolved mm. and that's the thing that frightened me frightens me the most is the lack of information and the way information is dispensed. And people got upset with uh, the president for saying that Facebook, by not doing anything, are killing people. And I, and I don't think he's wrong. Um, the misinformation is scary. Yeah. And um, people don't even get it. And yet 90-some percent, and in some places like Florida, I was talking to one of the people here and he was saying it's like 100% of people getting that Delta virus are unvaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And so it's very scary, the lack of information. And like I said, I talk to a few people who tend to be to the right and they listen to a lot. And the good part is that they, some of them have enough respect for me to listen for a minute and then I try to listen to them and I try to understand their point of view and sometimes some of the things make sense and some don't. When I was in New York I ran into more of the people on the right side mm -hmm. and that's because I was dealing with Wall Street a lot. Yeah, sure. And so I, but I did convince some people to like listen to the other side well, a little bit. we're so in a bubble here yeah. in a way that it, it, one of the skills I admire that you have that I don't is I, I don't have much opportunity, but I don't also think I'd be very good at talking to people who are on the other side. Yeah, and it takes. It is not easy. Practice. Sometimes right? you just want to go and strangle them and go, "What's wrong with you?" But you can't because people have points of view that are different, right. and they're not always just wrong. They're just right. sometimes misinformed. Sometimes they don't have the the same tools or whatever. And I think there's hope. I don't think it's the same way I did when I was 20 and 21, yeah. but I, I think there, there's a chance that maybe we can talk to each other more, and I just think things are happening for a reason. I mean, mm -hmm. this virus is not, I, I do think that God is looking at us and watching us and saying, what are you going to do with this? And um, watching Dr. Fauci yesterday talking to Rand Paul made me feel so much better. He said, you really don't know what you're talking about, which he really doesn't. Yeah. Um, he, I think he's an optometrist or an ophthalmologist or something like that. He doesn't know anything about <coughs> infectious diseases. Yeah. So, you know, and it's like you can't talk like, because you came unvaccinated and sat at a table. And... You know, it, it's it's almost scary. Yeah. 
that how many pe- how many ways do we have to explain it? And I'm not going to knock people who are anti-vax. They really have a problem with vaccines. I have a friend that's on the other side of the world, and he's a wonderful person. And he said to me, first of all, he said, there's no such thing as climate change and whatever. He lives in Germany. I was glad to know he he wasn't affected. And he fell in love, and I kept telling him, you're going to meet somebody, I can feel it. It's spiritually, I feel it. And sure enough, he did. And now they're about to have a baby, and he's very excited. And she talks to me, too. And and I'm saying to myself, do you realize that you need it? I'm not going to be vaccinated because you can't find a vaccination that short a time. And I was trying to say, you know that SARS and the other vac- you know, help them. And, and I have students who are research scientists and they were saying they're so far advanced. They don't ha- it doesn't take them 10 years. It only mm-hmm. takes them six months to do what used to take five, six years. Right. And so trying to explain this to people, they really don't want to hear. So he said, it's mostly chemtrails and geoengineering. I said, yes. Those are the things that caused climate change and, wow. and global warming. Those are the things. So one day, you know, I said, if I ever get to Germany to yeah, see the baby yeah. who's going to be born, I said, it should be born on my birthday. Aww. But it's, been, it's supposed to be August 11th or the 7th. I said, the 3rd would be good, you know. Is that your birthday on yes, the 3rd? Yes, yes. So Aww. I said, so I told him and, and Christina, you'll need to have your baby on my birthday. But anyway, Aww. so... Um, but, you know, yeah. I, I, I said, I don't want to argue with someone that far away that I really care about. We've, we've made a relationship. Right. <clears throat> and so I don't really want to, because it's pointless when people have certain feelings. You have to, like, allow them to say that. And you go, okay, you know we don't agree on that. You know, right. no. I said, okay. He said, but I still care about you. I said, I know you do. So I'm not offended. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's great to disagree and still come away yeah. having affection yeah. for each yeah. other. I think where we get stuck is where we start without any affection <laughs> or any respect for either side, you know, yeah. on both sides, that's the case. And I, I taught with um, Sean Hannity's sister. She was a guidance counselor in my school. And I was like, I know Sean Hannity is your brother. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> and she said, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And, that was it. <laughs> and I never quite understood where she was, but I think she didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I wouldn't say, you know, yeah. anything to her, you know, because I would not Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. I, those are people that I, you know, and Bill O'Reilly was from East Meadow, which was the next town over. But, you know, I think that it goes back to the education piece that you were talking about and mm-hmm. the, the really great teaching you did with middle schoolers and high schoolers, just understanding yeah. The, yeah. the system, understanding what is critical thinking, how to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I think people just, like, there's so much they do mm-hmm. not have the knowledge, the experience yeah. from a young age. A, a mutual friend of ours was telling me recently that when she taught high school, she worked out a situation that every student got a copy every day of the New York Times. Yeah, we used to read it. We used to, and, we used to discuss the Times. And they would look at it. In AP government, we'd have to read it. Yeah. And what's on the, the top part of the front page, what's mm-hmm. on the bottom? What isn't on the front page? What doesn't get reported, you know, as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. like the critical mm-hmm. thinking is happening mm-hmm. and and then looking at the articles and really. Well, that was what, what was so useful about the uh, feminist class. There was critical thinking skills involved. And yeah. so that helped a lot of students 
who were, a lot of them were Latino or uh, Jamaican or Haitian, and there's a, there was a lot of prejudice against gay people and that yeah. kind of change. And I said, you cannot come in here and be homophobic. If you're so homophobic you can't change, then this is an elective. I'm not gonna allow you to do that. So it's, okay, yeah. it's, it's really not, not acceptable. Yeah. But a lot of them said it changed their whole point of view yeah. in terms no, of they, they became more tolerant. So I said to one, one guy, I said, you're gonna get a roommate in college and he's gonna be gay, but you won't find out until you become his friend. And oh, then you'll find and out. And then you'll find out. And one, and one kid came back and said, you know, you yeah. said that and it, it did happen, happen to me. <laughs> he said, and you're right. I still like him, we're still friends. That's and the so best it way. was it was like, oh, yeah. really? And I said, yeah, you really have to figure it out. Just like trying to figure out pronouns. It's not easy for me. I, I you know, please, they made sticklers out of us for, right. you know, what has to, she has to go with this and I'm learning, I'm learning how to say they, learning. I'm learning how to say, you know, and, and I'm learning to respect what other people feel that they were born as and, or whatever and what, and what the cis yeah. is and what isn't, you know, and I'm just learning, you know, yeah. and I keep saying to them, please correct me. Don't let me just say it wrong and then let me walk away thinking that I'm saying it right, you know. So That's most of right. them have, have helped me, you know, most people have helped, you know, with that because you have to, in order yeah. to understand people, you have to learn yeah. How they feel. Exactly. And most people have not been allowed to be who they were right. for a long, long right. time. So right. I, I, I don't have anything against any of them. And I, anybody who feels that they are not comfortable being what, what they were born as or whatever. So then what do yeah. I call you that makes you comfortable? Yeah. You know, I call yeah. you they, I call you this, that's fine. Yeah. Just correct me if I mess it up. I yeah, said, I'm, I will not be offended. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. So hopefully, well, hopefully we can make people open their eyes a little bit and think for a minute, yeah. you know, that it could be me, they could be against me, let me... Well, let me, and we all mm -hmm. are not the majority in some aspect, right? right. We're, we're all, you know, the underprivileged or the not privileged in some way. So how can we take that piece of ourselves and connect it with that part of yeah. another well, person. Well, I tell people one of the problems yeah. that I think we have is that I don't think that most African-American, Latino people, and people of color in general, including Native Americans, are out to try to right the wrongs by doing the same things. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think most people want, because they know what it's like, and it's like, no, we're not going to enslave. We're not going to take everybody's land. We're not, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to make an equal position here for all of us yeah. so that we can work in a world together. Let's see if we can work this out. And, and it's, it's, the, it's a hard thing because people are afraid that by yeah. losing their majority or their right. ability and their privilege that they're going to lose everything. And that's yeah. probably not going to happen to most people, you know. So, Andrea, this is a great conversation. Well, I, I hate to. It's been great to... working with you, and yeah. it's been really good trying to work with uh, racial justice. Yeah. And meeting the people who are working also with it, it's been yeah. it's been a wonderful yeah. thing, and we're yeah. going to keep working. We are until it gets until we get it right. Right, right. Or right. somebody gets it right. <laughs> so <laughs> not it, not in our lifetime, maybe, but we'll try. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about oh, the things gosh. that are important to me in my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> I also okay. want to thank Greenfield Community Television, their staff, mm -hmm. the volunteers. Mm -hmm. You guys are awesome. 
I also want to offer, if anyone wants to watch another one of my interviews, you can go to marcysclove.com, and uh, they're all mm -hmm. there. So thank you again. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time on Going Deeper. Well, when I was a little boy sitting on my mama's knee, she said, son, let me tell you about that bad staggerly. She said, son, he was a bad man, Lord, the baddest man I know. Well, he killed Billy Lyon. 